We're looking this morning at Mark chapter 4. We're continuing in our series, Mark's Biblical Answers to Puzzling Questions. The question we would pose today is, can someone receive the Word of God and still not be saved? I believe the answer to that is found in this passage of Scripture. For reading this morning, we're going to go ahead and look at the first nine verses. So follow along as I read, beginning at verse 1. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. This passage of Scripture deals with the subject of the sower and the seed. It's interesting, as we said, Mark involves a great many highlights of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and chapter 4 is no exception. The first 20 verses deal with this topic of the sower seed. Verses 21 through 25, we see the parable of the candle and the candlestick. Verses 26 through 29, the parable of the growing seed. The parable of the grain of mustard seed in verses 30 through 34. And then in verses 35 through 41, Jesus rebukes the wind. Now here we have this chapter beginning or recording the beginning of a new method of teaching. Jesus began to teach by parables. Now Mark introduced that word parable in the previous chapter in verse 23, wherein he wrote, And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? But we see its full use coming into play here in chapter 4 and beyond. This word parable appears seven times in this chapter, in verses 2, 10, 11, twice in 13, and then again in verses 33 and 34. So the question arises, what is a parable? Simply put, a parable is a comparison, an illustration, or an analogy. The word means to throw alongside. It's the idea of placing two things side by side and comparing the one to the other that we might see likenesses or uh, dislike, uh, that we might see things that are similar or things that are dissimilar. Throughout his ministry, Jesus used familiar images such as nets, a candle, treasure, wolves, sheep, wheat, mustard seed, fruit, vines, and so on to explain the spiritual truths of his message. Someone many years ago well said, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Well, the question comes up, why did Jesus speak in parables rather than just speaking outright? 
He used this approach to both arouse the careless and to instruct the concern, while at the same time concealing truth from those who would use Christ's statements against him as they sought to oppose him. We see this later in this chapter, in Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, where when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him the parable, and he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear, and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. It's not that Jesus didn't want them to know the truth, but he knew in rejecting the truth they wouldn't understand the message he was trying to get across. The setting of our story this morning is by the seashore, and a great crowd had gathered, as was the case many times when our Lord spoke in public. Here in this situation, the the crowd was so great and they pressed upon Jesus so that he entered into a boat and pushed out from the shore and spoke to the people, to the crowd from that boat. And he had explained the parable later to his disciples and emphasized that understanding this parable was important and really the key to understanding all of his parables. This parable in particular helped the disciples understand why Jesus was not impressed with the large crowds that follow him. He knew most of his so-called followers wanted to see him because they wanted to see him perform miracles. They wanted to hear his teaching. They just wanted to see what was going to happen and they weren't really embracing what he was saying. So just like these people that were present Jesus draws the analogy of the four types of soils good seed falls upon. He made it clear in explaining this parable, the seed represents the Word of God. Now this parable is recorded in Matthew 13, here in Mark chapter 4, and also in Luke chapter 8. And in Luke 8, 11, he said, the seed is the Word of God. And by the way, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. Many times we see what God is trying to get across by clearly understanding the context of what is being said. We note also the sower is the servant of God who shares that word with others. And the soil represents the human heart. With that in mind, though, there are four forces that are at work here in this matter of bearing fruit. Notice the devil snatches away the seed from the hard hearts. The flesh produces a temporary response in shallow hearts. The world smothers the growth in the crowded hearts. And the good ground represents the prepared heart that receives the word of God and produces a harvest in varying degrees. Like seed, the Word of God is alive and is able to produce spiritual fruit, but the seed must be planted and cultivated before the harvest can come. Today we're going to look at these four types of soils that are mentioned here and see what the Lord has to say about the recipients in each of those settings. By the way, as a young pastor, I was questioned by another pastor as to whether or not I was a Calvinist or an Arminian. I, I confess at the time I didn't really understand the, uh, the scope of that argument, have not, having not studied the issue. And he said, well, what's your view on this passage of Scripture? 
He said, if you believe the last three types of soil represent those who are saved, then you're an Arminianist. If you believe that only the last one represents those who are saved, then you're a Calvinist. <laughs> I said, well, I don't know what I am, but I, I, I told him what I believed about this, and that's what I'll share with you about it today. By the way, today I know I am not a Calvinist. We are opposed to all five points of tulip theology. We believe that to be an errant system of theology, for we believe the Word of God has been given that all people everywhere might be saved. However, that has, well, let me say it this way. How we interpret this passage of Scripture has nothing to do with your, whether or not you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. It's whether or not you're a Biblicist and, ex, and accept the Word of God for what is written. So that's what we see here. The first type of soil is the wayside heart. Verses 4 and 15, It came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And these are they, and here you have the interpretation, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. The hard heart represents those who are not saved, represents those who resist the word of God and make it easy for Satan, or the birds if you will, to snatch it away. Soil becomes hard when too many feet trod upon it. In biblical times, people would plow their field. They would not be able to get nice, clean edges and corners along their property. And so the corners of their fields were seldom plowed. And as a result, people walking around the field, as we often do, we cut corners, as the phrase goes. People would walk upon the corners of that field, and the ground would be hard. Well, when the farmer would come along with his his bag of seed, and he would be sowing, he would be taking it and tossing it out on the ground, that that, uh, seed would fall on the plowed ground, but would also fall upon the corners of the field where the ground was hard. The seed wouldn't be able to get down into the ground, and birds would come along and eat that seed, and as a result, nothing would grow in that area on the corners, on the boundaries of that plot. What we know about those with a hard heart, those upon whose heart the Word of God lands, the wayside heart oftentimes hears the Word of God, but it has no impact on his or her life. Also, they let their mind wander and think little of God, His Word, or of spiritual matters. And it's quite possible for someone with a hard heart to respect Christ, to respect God's church, or even God's messenger, but pay little attention to the warnings and promises of the message. Those who refuse to heed God's call recklessly open their hearts to a multitude of influences and invite the danger of developing a hardened heart. If you've ever spoken to someone who you know they just have absolutely no interest in the Word of God at all, you talk to them and it's like water off a duck's back. They don't want to hear it. They don't want anything to do with it. More than one time I've spoken with people and they say, I don't want to hear anything about that. Don't talk to me about it. Don't give me anything to read. Don't tell me about it. I don't care. That person has a hardened 
heart. And it's tragic because you think about it. We live in America. In America, there are churches in many, many, many thousands of towns across this country. You hear the preaching of the Word of God on television and radio airwaves. It's on the internet. People can go across town or someplace locally and find someone who can show them or explain to them the truth of God's Word. But they don't care. Do you realize we're living in a time here in America when young people, young adults, know nothing about the Word of God. They don't know who Jesus Christ is. They know nothing of the message of salvation. They don't understand the difference between the Old and New Testament. They have grown up in a non-church situation and as a result have a hardened heart to the truth of the Word of God. Those who refuse to listen to God's word, those who refuse to heed, continue to have their heart hardened day by day, just as the sun bakes day after day on that hardened ground and makes it drier and harder and more brittle. So people who refuse to trust in Christ as their Savior, refuse to listen to any wooing of the Holy Spirit of God, their heart is continually hardened. How tragic it is, for their heart must be softened before they can hear the word of God. Acts 28, verse 27. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted. Proverbs 28, 14 declares, He that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Proverbs 29 verse 1, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Oh, what a tragedy to think there are so many today whose hearts are hardened to the truth of the word of God. Why is this so important? Proverbs 4 23 declares, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. You see, God deals with the heart. It isn't the outward cleansing of the flesh. It isn't the mental regenerating of the mind that makes a difference for a person that redeems that individual. No, it's the repentant heart that recognizes he or she is lost and on their way to hell and repents of their sin and receives Jesus Christ into their heart. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What a great promise we see in the word of God. Verse 10 goes on to say, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation Hebrews 10 22 let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water yes God deals with the heart a hardened heart is one who is hopeless. A great illustration of this, of course, would be Judas Iscariot. Having walked with the Lord throughout his three years of earthly ministry, seeing Christ, seeing him perform miracles, hearing him teach, watching him demonstrate compassion to multitudes and individuals, and yet hardening his heart and turning away from the great truth that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, you have those who are represented by the wayside heart. You have those who are represented by the stony heart in this passage. Verses 5 and 6 
Jesus stated, and some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. The interpretation in verses 16 and 17. These are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. This is the shallow and rootless heart. It's like a thin layer of soil on top of a rock. And this was common in Palestine with so much rock in the land and in areas where the ground was quite shallow and was full of rocks. Because there's no depth, whatever's planted on that type of soil can't get their roots deep drowned into the ground and get water and moisture and nourishment from the ground and thus survive the hot sun that beats upon that ground. You see, this causes a lot of confusion, this passage, because it talks about how folks gladly receive the word, and yet there's a problem. See, I believe this represents folks who are lost, who become what we might refer to as emotional hearers. On the surface, they joyfully accept the wonders of God's word, but they're not really concerned about becoming a genuine Christian. You know, Christianity on the service sounds wonderful. And by the way, it is. And people say, well, I like that. You know, I want, the, I want heaven. Oh, tell me about heaven. I want the wonders of eternal life. I want the, the blessing of being with Jesus. I want the joy of knowing that I'll never suffer again. And all the good things about it. But they overlook the fact that true Christianity, someone who truly repents of their sin and receives Christ as Savior, turns from sin unto Christ. They forget the fact that there's a price to be paid. And as a result, they say, well, Christianity sounds wonderful, but the expectations are too high for me. You see, there might be a great deal of excitement and enthusiasm for a short period of time, but when difficulties arise, the joy of superficial living quickly fades. It's easy for fallen human nature to counterfeit religious feelings. And would you agree with me? There are many folks today who tout their religious feelings, how their Christianity makes them feel so good. They want to hear about what makes them happy, what makes them smile, what puts a skip in their step and a song in their heart. Beloved, Christianity is more than that. All that is possible in Christ, but it involves so much more. This involves a person who knows about Christ, but doesn't know him personally. For it was the Apostle Paul that said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, when you get into true Christianity, you'll find the scripture warns us, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You'll find that when somebody trusts Christ as Savior, maybe you saw this, you've seen this in your own life. When you got saved, you thought, well, my, my family, my friends, they're all going to be thrilled. Everybody's going to be happy. Everybody's going to jump up and say, that's wonderful you got saved. When you find out, in fact, 
Your friends aren't your friends anymore. They don't want anything to do with your Christianity. They don't want anything to do with this new life in Christ. No, no, they want to continue in their sin, and you're outside the box. You don't fit into their group anymore. I know that has happened for many of us. And, praise the Lord, we have an opportunity to live for Christ. But a lot of these folks whose hearts are similar or related to this stony ground It sounds exciting to be a Christian, but when there's a price to be paid, they're not interested. Matthew 24, 12, Jesus warned, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. In Luke 6, 49, he said, But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Takes a foundation built upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our foundation. We are his building. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. We are the bride. He is the head. We are the body. Christianity is a life of submission unto the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one who turns to God from idols. And those who are like this stony ground They're not interested in all the problems that arise as a result of their becoming a Christian. Galatians 4.9, Paul wrote, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather ye are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Hebrews 10.38, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, My soul shall have no pleasure in him. Beloved, the choice is placed before us. Choose Christ. Choose the world. Live for God or live for self. Accept him or reject him. The stony-hearted individual says it sounds good, but the price is too great to pay. I'll not pursue it. Then you look at the third type of soil that he mentions here. In verse 7, he said, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. The interpretation thereof in verses 18 and 19, These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Notice, and the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. The key there is these things choke the word, and it is the word of God that that becomes unfruitful in this person's life. Again, I believe this represents someone who is not saved. The the idea is they're excited about this this, uh, message of salvation. They're excited about the thought of Christianity, but their crowded heart pictures the person who receives the word of God but does not truly repent, and thus the weeds are never removed from their heart. This individual has too many kinds of seeds growing in the soil. Worldly cares a desire for riches, a lust for things, and the good seed, the Word of God, has no room in which to grow. This person wants to walk the broad way as opposed to the narrow way. Jesus spoke of that in Matthew chapter 7, wherein he said, Enter in at the straight gate, 
For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. This is the type of person that finds the church friendly, appealing, and helpful. So he or she joins right in, even professing Christ as they walk about their daily affairs. But there's one problem. The thorns of worldliness, the weeds of the cares of this world, they're unwilling to cut loose of those things. James chapter 4 warns us, friendship with the world is enmity with God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, we're reminded, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, are not of the Father, but are of the world. Verse 17 says, all that's going to pass away. It's going to be gone. So those who would with one voice profess Christ and then another voice demonstrate a love for the world, there's an imbalance there. Proverbs tells us a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. We need to understand the thorny heart is one who can't decide which way they're going to go. They can't decide which path they're going to follow. They can't decide who will really be his or her Lord. Jesus warned of this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, when he said, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. See, the problem is mankind has been uh, faced with a choice from the days of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve when God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were faced with a choice, eat it or don't eat it. And that choice they made was wrong and as a result plunged the entire human race into sin. Well, now, ever since then, mankind has been faced with a choice. Are you going to obey God, or are you going to follow the own desires of your heart? Or are you going to do right, or are you going to do wrong? Joshua said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, it's an individual choice that every one of us make. Follow God, or follow someone or something else. 1 Samuel 7, 3, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods of Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Too many say, I want God, and I want the world. We're told by missionaries serving in countries in the Far East. This is a great challenge for them as they explain to to individuals in Japan and China and other regions that in accepting Christ, it means to reject all the other gods that are available to them. But for many in the Oriental culture, Jesus is nothing more than a god to be added to the long list of gods whom they worship. 
A lot of folks in our culture are the same way. I'll take Jesus as long as I can take everything else that's of interest to me. No, the crowded heart, the thorny heart must understand there's a choice to be made. It is one or the other, not both and. Elijah came to the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The tragedy of that situation is the people answered him not a word. You know, many today, when you put the question to them, will you follow Christ or will you follow the world? They have no answer. They can't make up their mind. Their heart is so crowded that Christianity sounds good, but not good enough to say no to everything else that's going on in their life. Their life can be illustrated with a weed called kudzu. You ever heard of kudzu? You ever seen it? It's amazing. It's referred to as the vine that ate the south. Kudzu is one of the most invasive species in the world. It was introduced in the U.S. in 1876 when a small number of plants were introduced into uh, our our agriculture and things. But this invader now occupies over 11,500 square miles, mostly in the southeast. It's estimated kudzu, its growth rate, is consuming land in the U.S. at a rate of 200 square miles a year. The plant grows up to a meter every three days. That's almost a foot of growth every day. It's a vine that lays down roots as it comes into contact with the ground, and it smothers everything in its path. Trees, poles, bridges, even buildings. In addition to the damage it inflicts by overwhelming other plants, kudzu has resulted in numerous injuries or deaths of humans and livestock. The reason being, its network of vines are strong enough to hold the shape of ground even after the ground has eroded out from underneath it. As a result, people have walked out onto, or livestock have walked out onto, or people have ridden on horseback or on tractors or vehicles, ridden out onto hillsides that they believed were there, and then they found that there was nothing underneath because the vines were masking the fact there was no ground below it. And as a result, they suffered injury or even death. In addition to the loss of life, it's estimated the U.S. economy suffers over $500 million annually from this weed. What a picture of this crowded heart, this weed-infested heart that chooses, rather than following Christ, chooses to succumb to all the excess growth in their lives. This is why I believe this represents a person who's not saved. They've never truly seen their need to trust Christ and Him alone and will gladly add Him to their love for the world. But Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy strength, and thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. It's not Jesus plus the world. It's Jesus or the world. This other type of soil spoken of in verse 8, and other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some 100. The interpretation down in verse 20. And these are they 
which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. The fruitful heart pictures the true believer in Christ because fruit, a changed life, is spoken of here. You see, fruit is the evidence of true salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You see, the other three hearts produced no fruit So we conclude those hearts belong to people who were never born again. Now, not all believers are equally productive. But every genuine believer does produce fruit. There is an evidence of salvation in the life of every true child of God. John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Philippians 1.11 Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Beloved, the fruits of righteousness are only produced in the life of a true believer. The unregenerate and unsaved cannot produce fruits of righteousness. They might perform works of goodness, but all righteousness, these fruits of righteousness come from the Lord. As we sow the seed in our preaching, our teaching, and our witnessing, we must be diligent and not become discouraged, recognizing there will be various responses to the message that is given out. But God has promised his word will not return unto him void. What a joy in knowing. As we see in in Psalm 126, verse 5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There will be fruit produced in the life of a believer. But we'd have to be honest and say, That amount of fruit varies from person to person. Each of these three fruitless hearts are influenced in a different way. The hard heart, the devil himself snatches away the seed. The shallow heart, it is the flesh that counterfeits religious feelings. And the crowded heart, the things of the world smother the growth and prevent a harvest. Yes, these are the three great enemies. The world the flesh, and the devil. The wayside ground is an unplowed heart which results in a hardened life. The stony ground is a rootless heart which results in a superficial life. The thony ground is a worldly heart which results in a strangled life. And the fruitful ground is a repentant heart which results in a joy-filled life. Let me close with this illustration. Almost a century and a half ago, there was a humble minister in a small town in Leicestershire, England, named Robert Hall. He had never attended college, had no seminary degrees, 
was merely a faithful village minister. And in his congregation was a young cobbler whom he had given special attention to teaching him the word of God. That young man was William Carey, who came to be known as one of the greatest missionaries of modern times. In fact, he's known as the father of modern missions. That same pastor had a son, a sickly young man, but his name was Robert Hall Jr. And this was the Robert Hall, who became known as the mightiest public orator of his day, whose sermons influenced the decisions of statesmen and whose character was as saintly as his preaching was phenomenal. It seemed this village pastor accomplished little in his life. There were no spectacular revivals, no great meetings, no write-ups in publications concerning his ministry. But his faithful witness and godly life gave India William Carey and England its Robert Hall. You don't have to be famous, wealthy, or educated to bear fruit. You merely have to love God, be grateful for the wondrous gift of salvation, and share that joyous truth with others. How fruitful are you today?